Good morning, everyone. We are back in the book of Daniel. I'm going to open in a word of prayer, and then we're going to get right into it. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for this day. We're thankful, Lord, uh, for this beautiful weather you created it for us to enjoy today, and we're just thankful just for everything that you've done for us. We just pray now, Lord, as we spend time in your word, that it's inspiring to us, that it's encouraging to us, and it's edifying to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we're picking up in Daniel chapter 9. It says, In the first year of Darius, the son of Ashuerus, by descent Amid, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans in the first year of his reign. So now, if you're following along with Daniel, we're in chapter 9. We kind of go back in time. If you remember, the, the Babylon under Nebuchadnezzar and then Belshazzar, Belshazzar, and then Darius the Mede comes in. So that's our next uh, group that starts to rule. Remember on the statue, remember the ram and the goat and all that stuff. So now we're kind of like back in time. So this is something that happened during that time. Remember back when Daniel was thrown into the lion's den? This was about that time when Daniel was thrown into the lion's den. So God's people, Israel, were still suffering. Daniel wants to know why. So they're under Babylonian captivity. Leadership has changed, but they're still in captivity. They're still suffering. So Daniel wants to know why. So anytime we want, we want an answer to a question or we have a question and we need an answer that it's not humanly possible to find, the best place to go is where? If it's not humanly possible? <laughs> God, okay? Um, so he seeks answers from God. So that's what Daniel's going to do here. He's going to seek answers from God. And the first way that he seeks answers from God is Daniel investigates the scriptures. So let's see what Daniel says here in the rest of uh, verse 2. He says, I, Daniel, perceive in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolation of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. So basically what's happening here is this. Daniel, knowing the scriptures, recounts what the prophet Jeremiah wrote about Israel's captivity. So they were under uh, captivity under Babylon. Leadership changed to Darius. But guess what? They were still in captivity. They were still suffering. So Daniel is probably thinking back or reading back to these couple of passages found in Jeremiah. It says this in Jeremiah 25, 11 through 12. It says, this whole land shall become a ruin and a waste, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Then after 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity or for their sins, declares the Lord, making the land an everlasting waste. Then we jump to Jeremiah 29, 10 through 11. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. So basically, Daniel is under this captivity now leadership has changed. It's roughly like two years out from 70 years, and Daniel doesn't really see any change. 
So he's thinking about maybe reading these passages, knowing that the prophet Jeremiah predicted that this would happen and things aren't changing. So the context of these passages is God's people were in captivity in Babylon for 70 years or under Babylon for 70 years. The purpose of the exile was for God's people to turn and seek after him. So they were suffering and it was a direct result of them turning away from God. So now they were supposed to turn back to God. When they turned back to him, he would gather them back from all nations to their land. So the overarching purpose of this whole Jeremiah thing that's, that's being predicted here, that Daniel's actually living, is that they would eventually be delivered from their struggle, from their captivity. So the question then becomes for us is this. When we're seeking for answers, for, when we're seeking for answers from God about his plans, the first thing we need to do is like Daniel did, we need to actually investigate the scriptures. We need to find out what the scriptures say about certain situations. We need to find out the answers to the questions that we have. So then the question becomes this, what kind of answers do we want? Or what kind of questions do you have? Well, I think that really depends on who you are, right? That really depends on who you are. But generally speaking, we know there are a few things true of everyone because God has made us in such a way that we naturally ask these questions. God has made us in such a way that we naturally ask certain questions. And the first question that most people naturally ask in life is, is there a God? Is there a God? And now I know I'm starting kind of basic here, but that's a question that people have. And if you already have that settled in your mind, great. That's why I'm here. That's why you're here, because we have this settled in our mind. But guess what? We know people in our lives that are questioning that. One of the things that you've noticed about our culture is what we're called in, we're in what's called a post-Christian generation. Okay, people don't have a biblical worldview. They don't go to church. When they fill out little things that say religious affiliation, they write none, N-O-N-E. They have no religious affiliation. This is probably the first time in America that people, that you'll meet a lot of people, and even the majority of the people, were born and raised and not taught any specific religious faith. So the question that many people have is, is there a God? And the, the answer, we invent, when we investigate the scriptures, Romans 1.20 says, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. So this means this, no matter where people are in the world, there's this sense creation speaks something, okay? We call it general revelation, but creation speaks that there must be a creator. And if there is a creator or a higher power, does that higher power or creator have anything to do with us? Okay, does that higher power or creator have anything to do with us? Now, we are obviously different than the animals because we think and reason differently and and we're made in the image of God. So what the apostle Paul is saying here is listen, anybody anywhere in the world, if you go to any country, any language, it doesn't matter, people are thinking there must be something else. 
There must be something else. Which brings us to the next natural answer people seek and they need to look and investigate the scriptures for is this. What did this God do for us? Okay, if there is a higher power, if there is a higher power, what did God do for us? Now, the question really is simple and complex because there are many things that God has done for us, right? Like he created us, he created the world. These are things that we all kind of come to some kind of conclusion. Maybe even before we start to investigate the scripture, we're like, okay, if there is a God, if he did create things, okay, he created the world around, he must have had some kind of hand in creating us. But the, the, the question then becomes very personal when we start to actually study the scriptures. So now if you have these questions, like, is there a God? What does he do for us? Then you start to investigate the scriptures and start to study the scriptures. We learn that God is a God that has standards. He has requirements. And when we fail to meet those standards and requirements, they're an offense to him. He calls those things sin. And sadly, the scriptures teach that there's an eternal consequence for sin. Because we sin, we can't be with the perfect God. Because God is holy and we sin, we can't be near a perfect God. But that is why the scriptures teach us this in Romans 5, 8. But God shows his love for us. And while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, now the scriptures teach that there is a God that this God has done something amazing for us, and it is he sent his son to die in our place for our sins on the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, he rose again three days later, and the scriptures teach that all who believe will have eternal life. Which really brings us to the final question, and this is the question that most of you are probably asking because you're like, okay, Mike, you're like, this is like Christianity 101 here. Like, I know this stuff. I've been coming here for a while. I hear this all the time, right? This brings us to the final question, which essentially is what Daniel is asking in a roundabout way, and that is this. What does God want us to do? Hey, what is God? So now you're sitting here today, you're like, okay, I believe in this God. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins. I'm a Christian now. Okay, what does God want us to do? And let me just say this. Many of us might be wandering around kind of blindly, and you don't know what God wants you to do. You kind of have some ideas, but you don't know what God wants you to do. Some of you, like, obviously you're in better shape because you're like, okay, I know he wants me to come to church. I'm here today, okay? So now tell me the rest. Tell me the rest of what's going on. So Daniel investigated the scriptures to find out what was up. What does God want me to do? And how does he need me to respond to what is happening around me? And in his situation, he needs to do what we're all called to do as well. So you ready for this? What does God want us to do? Well, here's what the scriptures teach. In 1 Corinthians 10, 13, this thing's giving me a problem again. <laughs> and Trevor's not back there. <laughs> oh, oh, man. Okay, there we go. Okay. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says this. What does God want us to do? 1 Corinthians 10, uh, 10.31 excuse me, says, Whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Now, let me ask you a question. 
What do you think God wants you to do? Does anybody know? <laughs> Whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. What, what is that? Well, it's whatever you do. So that means that every single thing in your life needs to be done for the glory of God. Now, if I'm honest with myself, and I hope you're honest with yourself, I can't check that box, okay? Not whatever I do is done for the glory of God. Some of the things I do are done for the glory of God. Some of the things I do are done for my own selfish needs, my own glory, my own pleasure. The, the things that I do, that I choose to do during the day, don't always glorify God. So then we have to ask ourselves this question. What do I need to change so that whatever I do in those daily things actually bring glory to God? For us, we need to continually investigate the scriptures and learn from them how to bring glory to God. So now we go back to Daniel. Historically, when chapter 9 happened, it was towards the end of the 70-year captivity under Babylon. It should be in about two years. Daniel did not see the end in sight. So he investigated the scriptures, did all the mathematics and everything, and found out, like, we're almost done here. And I don't see an end to this. We're still suffering. We're still in captivity. I went to the scriptures and I don't see this stopping. So at this point, Daniel's confused. He's concerned. He's seeking. He's wondering, what does God want me to do? What does God want me to do? He investigated the scriptures, but he doesn't see it. And he doesn't fully understand. So the next way he seeks answers from God is he prays. He prays. Now, this is where we're going to spend most of the sermon because Daniel's composure in prayer is something we need to pay close attention to. And we need to pay close attention to because I think that all of us could probably use some serious lessons in prayer. Now, many times in life, we will see the general things in the scriptures for all of us to follow, right? We see general things in the scriptures for all of us to follow. But in truth, there are very specifics to each one of our lives that only through a close relationship with the Lord in prayer can we find out what God actually wants us to do. You're not going to open the Bible and find specific answers to questions like, what job should I take? Who should I marry? Where should I go to school? What house should I buy? Where should I send my kids to school? When should I retire? Should I buy this car? All these little decisions or big decisions every day of your life, you're not going to crack open the Bible and God's going to be like, okay, buy in Lacey Township. Okay, you're not going to have that. So then what do you do? What do you do? Well, that's where we have to realize that we need to go to the Lord in prayer because we have to answer this question. Does God care about all those decisions that you make? I believe that he does. I believe that he does. In fact, the scriptures tell us even the hairs on our head are numbered. Not a sparrow drops to the ground dead without our heavenly father knowing. So he cares about every single thing in your life. So that means you need to be going to him in prayer. And that's what Daniel did. He investigated the scriptures, found out some stuff. And now he's like, okay, now I got to go to prayer. I got to go to prayer. I got to figure this out. So the first thing Daniel does is this in prayer. The first thing Daniel does is he removes distractions. He says this, then I turn my face to the Lord 
seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. So here's what Daniel does. Fasting. It's abstaining from something. In Daniel's case, it was food. He's abstaining. He's setting that aside so he can direct his attention to the Lord in prayer. But notice it says, in sackcloth and ashes. What in the world does that mean? Well, that was a sign of mourning. Okay, that was a sign of mourning. That's what people would do when they would mourn. So think about it this way. When someone in your family or in your life close to you passes away, are you like, oh, they died. Let me go to work. Okay, oh, they died. I'm going to go hang out with my friends. No, that's not how you, all of a sudden, everything gets hit on pause, right? There's a death in your family. Everything stops, okay? You don't go to work. You don't do anything else that you normally do. Everything focuses in on that time of mourning. You plan the funeral. You focus your attention on all that. So here's what Daniel did. Here's what Daniel did. He needed to go to the Lord, and his attention needed to be put on the Lord. So he removed distractions. Now, today, in the culture of distractions, we need to learn how to remove distractions so we could talk to Jesus. This is a tough time in our culture. Wouldn't you agree? We all have a distraction in our pocket right now. I mean, if you're in my age group or older, you remember the day when somebody would call you and it would go to a phone at home, right, with a little answering machine at home. And if you weren't home, guess what? Too bad, okay? They couldn't get you. And if you didn't feel like going home, well, too bad for them. They weren't hearing from you for days on end, maybe, right? The good old days, okay? (laughs) The truth is, right now, in our culture, there's so many things to distract us from having a quiet time in prayer. You need to work this out in your life. What is distracting you? I know in the past, like we've talked about, you know, there's different like prayer apps and stuff. So people will go on there and like, oh, I journal it on my prayer app. And then when they're praying on their prayer app, then another notification comes in. Oh, really? Okay. Wait, what was I doing? Okay, here's the thing. That is a huge problem for each one of us. Talking to somebody who's distracted is frustrating, isn't it? If any of you have kids here, teenagers here, and you're talking to them and they're on their phone, they're like, uh-huh. You're like, you can get them to agree to do anything because they're not even paying attention to you. They're just looking at their phone. Well, that's kind of like how God is looking at us when we're so distracted and he's trying to communicate to us. So Daniel, the first thing he did is he removed distraction so he can talk to the Lord. You know, prayer is talking to God, but it's also being still and listening, giving him our attention so that he can bring clarity to mind in certain situations. So he could remind us of maybe many scriptures that you studied in your lifetime. I mean, think about this. Some of you grew up through the church or have been a Christian for many years. You've done devotions. You've read through the Bible. You spent time in God's word. That's why I say you need a steady diet of God's word. When you do that, here's what happens. When you go to the Lord in prayer and you are silent and listen, all of a sudden those things start to recount in your mind. God starts to use those things to speak to you time and again. But you know what? If you can't quiet your heart, If you can't remove distractions, what's going to happen is you're not going to really, truly hear from God. 
because those distractions will stand in the way of your relationship with the Lord. Not because you intended them to, but just because they will. And let me just tell you again, this will be a struggle and this will be a fight. It'll be a struggle and it'll be a fight for you to just step back. So whatever it is, whether it's a quiet room, whether it's a walk, whether it's putting the phone on silent, whatever it is, you need to spend time. You need to spend time. Whether it's five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, half an hour, you need to spend time focusing your attention on prayer. So now we ask the question is when we start to pray, what do we really pray? We know we have the Lord's Prayer and, and you know, a, a great example of the prayer. But Daniel prays, and it's very similar to the Lord's Prayer, but the rhythm of it is pretty interesting. So here's what Daniel does. The first thing he starts to do when he prays is he confesses. Now, the rhythm of how Daniel confesses is this. He makes statements of truth about God, who he is, and what he has done. And then he makes statements about Israel and their sin and himself. So basically, he's realistic. You'll notice that Daniel has a realistic view of God and a realistic view of himself. So he's not like, okay, God, this is what you're supposed to do, and um, I'm awesome, and you know, you listen to me. No, he has a realistic view of God, and he has a realistic view of himself and of Israel and what they've done. So this is important because if we can't admit that we sin, we really can't be open and honest with God. So Daniel goes to the Lord confessing. If we can't admit that we sin, we can't be open and honest with God. So here's another truth about what's going on. When we're suffering or in a difficult situation comes our way, we can't rule this out. Sometimes it's a direct result of our sinful actions and decisions. Let me say that again. Sometimes our suffering and our difficult situation are a direct result of sinful actions and decisions. I'm not saying all the time. Sometimes suffering will come your way and you could comb through your life and you're like, I don't really see, like, I... I feel like I've been doing the right thing and I'm trying to be as honest with myself as I can. I don't really see why I'm going through this. That's a whole nother sermon, right? This, what I'm talking about is sometimes we just do very dumb, very sinful, very disobedient thing. And guess what? Sometimes we have to live with the consequences. And some of you have been there. Some of you have been there. You're like, yep, <laughs> I did that, and I know exactly why this is going on. Now, some of you might think, okay, when I pray, I probably have nothing to confess. Or what if I have nothing to confess? Here's what I would suggest. Search your heart. Search your heart. Remember, this is a prayer of Daniel, and I made mention of this before. Nowhere in the scriptures do we find any negative information about Daniel. Do you realize that? Like we study a lot of other heroes of faith and we see negative things. We're like, okay, that guy, he was a man after God's own heart. Really? Okay, we see these negative things. Daniel, there's nothing negative in the scriptures about Daniel. So if Daniel's starting his prayer in confession, it does show us 
that there's something that we probably all need to search our hearts about. Those sins that maybe nobody else knows about. Maybe we're just hiding. Maybe it's something that's kind of festering below the surface. Maybe it's an attitude. Maybe it's something in your life that, you know what? If you don't identify it and confess it and keep it in check, it could actually grow. And you know what? As a pastor, I love this church too much to not tell you that sometimes if you don't check those things, they're going to grow into something much worse. And it, will be, it could be devastating to you and your family. So here's what Daniel does. We're going to go through all these scriptures here. It says, I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. So he starts off saying, God, you're awesome. You're the God of love. Then he goes on to say in verse 5, We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings and our princes and our fathers to all the people of the land. So he confesses, but notice he confesses some historical sins. He knows, God, back in the past, I know we ended up in captivity because of all the really dumb things and the bad mistakes and the decisions that we made. You know what? Sometimes in life, maybe there are some sins in your past that you've neglected to confess, and those sins are adding to your pride. Maybe because you got away with it. Maybe you did something wrong, and you're like, I've always heard that you kind of have consequences to your sin, but I did something wrong, and nothing happened to me. So it must not be that wrong. It must not be that bad. Or I can continue to go that route. Let me just tell you this. Those sins are going to cloud your mind and make it difficult for you to hear from God. If you've been sinning in such a way that nobody knows about and you've been getting away with it, it doesn't seem like there's any consequences, those sins are clouding your mind. And God's word is kind of here to uncloud it, to kind of put some clarity there and say, hey, listen, no, 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 don't keep going that way. Something, the gauntlet's going to come down and it's not going to be good. So Daniel digs deep. And then he goes on in verse 7 and says, To you, O Lord, belongs the righteousness, but to, to us open shame. As at this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, in all the lands to which you have driven them, because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame. To our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. You know what? God has a righteous reputation, and Daniel is admitting God's people, Israel, has dragged his name through the mud. Dragged his name through the mud. Maybe you, maybe you have unconfessed sin that have been a bad testimony of your faith. Maybe, maybe you have made We've been a bad representation of God and his church. Realize this. We don't sin in isolation. Do you realize that your sin affects God's reputation 
Everyone that knows you're a Christian, when you choose to disobey God, it impacts God's reputation. Oh, that's the God they follow. He lets them do stuff like that. Or it also impacts people around you, the other people around you. You realize that when you sin, it affects everybody. It affects your spouse, your family members, your church, the people around you, the people that call you friends. It affects everybody. Many of you have been in situations like this where someone in your family or in your circle of friends sins, and it messes everything up. And you're just like, dude, really? Like, you had to do that? Now everything's messed up. Now everything's weird. Everything's awkward. And it's because of you. And you're like, didn't you think of us? Didn't you think of the reputation? Didn't you think of anything like that? And a lot of times, people don't. But Daniel's saying, this is what happened. We did this. We dragged your holy name through the mud. Remember, God chose Israel to reveal his plans to humanity. Remember, Jesus was Jewish. Okay? He was the Messiah that came through the line of Israel. God used them to bring forth his plan to humanity, and he's not done with them. We're going to find out in weeks to come how in the end times, and in the tribulation period and all that, we're going to see Israel again. So then he says this. To you, O Lord, our God, belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against you and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord, our God, by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. God's merciful, forgiving. Remember this rhythm. He keeps on telling God who you are. You're merciful, forgiving. You told us what you desire. You told us what obedience looks like. God's not shy about that. Read his word. He's not shy about telling us what he desires from us. He plainly tells us. He tells us for our benefit. Then he says this. All Israel has transgressed, meaning sin. Transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and the oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against you. Daniel admits, we've sinned, we were living the consequences, you warned us about this in your law, we continued going the wrong way. I mean, come on, if we can't realize that God is like beating us down right now, if you are right now continuing to go the wrong way and you leave this place continuing, I can't really say much more because God has said it all. He's saying, hey, listen, you're continuing on the wrong way. And guess what? There's consequences for that. Maybe in your life you knew what you were doing was wrong, but you decided to ignore what God says. I don't really care. Because of that, you might be in a situation where you and other people are feeling a difficult and stressful situation because you decided, I don't care. I'm not listening to that. So then it goes on to say, he has confirmed his words which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us a great calamity. He's talking about the 70 years of captivity. He says, for under the whole heaven, there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. Daniel's recognizing they're living the consequences of their sin. Daniel's not the kid in school that says, the teacher failed me. He's the kid in school that says, I failed. There's a difference, right? The teacher failed me. It's his fault or her fault. Now I failed. Daniel's not blaming God. He's saying, God, 
This is what we've done, and we've been living out what we deserve, this captivity. Let me tell you, God is never the one who does wrong. He's never the one who does wrong. It's us. It's us. Sometimes we have to bear the consequences of that wrongdoing, and that's what's happening here. And he goes on and says this, As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us. Yet we have not entreated the favor of God our Lord, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. He says, And we kept going the wrong way, thinking we may accomplish what we want and never going to the Lord for guidance. Now think about this. He's saying never going to the Lord for guidance. So Israel, like they really just turned their back on God. Daniel, one of the few godly men, I, I forgot to tell you this earlier, but remember when I said this was about the time of Daniel being thrown into the lion's den? Some theologians have suggested, remember the reason why Daniel got thrown into the lion's den? because he was praying. Some theologians have suggested that this prayer was actually happening and recorded when Daniel was praying against, remember when he said he wasn't allowed to pray, and then he went and prayed and then got thrown into the lion's den? Some suggest this prayer was happening at, like, at that time. Daniel was praying this prayer, and then they took him away and threw him into the lion's den. So they kept going the wrong way. They were thinking, we're going to accomplish what we want by doing what we want. Now, let me ask you a question. Are you like that? Do you try to solve the bad and sinful decision your own way? Maybe you've had a sinful decision. Maybe you did something sinful. And you're feeling the consequences, but you're still not going to God for help. I'm going to take matters into my own hand. I'm going to fix this. I'm going to fix this. Let me just tell you. No, you're not. You're not fixing it. God's the one you have to go to. He's the one that can fix this. He's the one that can forgive. That's why Daniel keeps on saying, you're the righteous one. You're the merciful one. You're the forgiving one. You're the compassionate one. You're the one I need to go to. So then he goes on and says, therefore the Lord has kept ready the calamity that has brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done. And we have not obeyed his voice. So God continued to allow them to bear the consequences because Israel did not listen. They didn't turn to God. Is that you? Are you the type that won't listen? And the consequences just keep coming. You won't wake up. You know, maybe there's somebody in your life that's like that. They just won't listen. They just won't wake up. Are you serious? You're going to continue to do that? You're going to continue to drag God's name through the mud? You're going to continue to drag the family's name through the mud? You're going to continue to be under those consequences when you don't have to, when you can go towards God? And then he goes on to say this. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand, and have made a name for yourself, as at this day we have sinned, we have done wickedly. So Daniel concludes his confession with a reminder. God, remember? Remember back like when you delivered us out of Egypt, part of the Red Sea, and we all left? We love that. Do that again, okay? Deliver us again like that. We, this, we know you're powerful enough. We know that you're a God who can do the miraculous, so the confession is over, but it brings us to the last four verses in Daniel's prayer, and that's something that we're all very familiar with, and that is something called supplication. 
Now, supplication is a fancy word for the action of asking or begging for something. The action of asking or begging for something. Most of us, most of us, I'm not saying all, most of us, when we pray, we forget about the confession part, don't we? We forget about the confession part, and we move right to the supplication. Please, God, please, God, please, God, okay? You find yourself praying a lot when you're asking, right? Please, God, please, God, please, God. Not, I've offended you. I've done the wrong thing. I've gone the wrong way. Part of the reason why we confess is just that, that whole sense of admitting, I'm not in charge. I'm not right. God is. Notice there's 12 verses of confession and four verses of supplication. Three times as many of confession. Daniel, who nothing negative is said in the scriptures about, three times as much time he spends on telling God, man, we really messed this one up, didn't we? But then he finally gets this supplication. He asks God, he asks God what, what he wants him to do. He says this, <laughs> I knew God was going to speak. <laughs> oh, Lord, according to your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill, because of our sins and for our iniquities of our fathers. Jerusalem and your people have become a, by, have become a byword among all who are around us. Daniel appeals, appeals to God's righteousness. Ask Israel to be spared any more wrath. By word means a notorious example. God's people should be an example of strong faith and obedience. Unfortunately, Israel became an example of disobedience. And you can find that throughout the scriptures. So Daniel continues his plea. He's not bartering with God saying, next time we'll listen. He's not bartering with him. He's asking God, please do this. Listen, deliver your people because you are righteous and you are the merciful one. And then he goes on to say, now, therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his plea for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolation and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. He's not saying, God, God, look, like we're kind of all right. Like we're kind of good. He's saying, God, we know you're a merciful God. He doesn't barter with God. He asks God because of the fact that he recognizes that he is the one that can answer prayers. He is the one that can deliver them from an impossible situation. Do you pray like that? Do you ask God based upon his righteousness, his mercy, his forgiveness, his compassion, and say, God, you're the God that I know can do this stuff. You're the God that can heal. You're the God that can deliver. You're the God that can make a bad relationship a good relationship. So now we have Daniel's final plea, and he says, O oh Lord, hear. O oh Lord, forgive. O oh Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, 
Oh my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. So he's saying, please forgive. Please pay attention. Please act. Make it soon. We're your people. I mean, it's a plea. It's a heartfelt plea from a godly man. See, at the end of the day, we need to remember this. As a believer, we belong to God. He is our loving father. So what we need to do is we need to remove those distractions so we can hear his his answers through investigating the scriptures and asking him in prayer. So you're probably wondering, what is the answer to Daniel's prayer? Let's find out. Oof. (laughs) We're going to close in a word of prayer. (laughs) Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for this day. We're thankful, Lord, for your word. And we're thankful through all this end times prophecy, the already, the not yet, all those things that we've studied thus far in your word through the book of Daniel. I pray, Lord, that this kind of pause